Well, it was beautiful singing. It's always encouraging to sing with the saints, particularly when you mean it. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Those words from James are so true. The only one on earth who ever lived a perfect life with perfect and pure lips was the Lord Jesus Christ. Neither in word or deed did he ever sin. He was a perfect man with a perfectly tamed tongue. We are not. I think you would agree. I doubt there's a person in this room who's not painfully aware of statements that he has made that he wishes he could take back. But we can't really take back words. Like water spilt on the ground, the damage is already done. Life really presents a lot of changing circumstances for us as believers. Every day is a new challenge. Every week you're confronted with something that you didn't necessarily expect. Some things you do expect wear on you through the uh, months as you face them again and again. Each situation we're in requires wisdom. What to say? Comforting the sick, what do we say? Rejoicing with others, how do we express that? Giving weighty counsel to someone who needs it. Or just enjoying lighthearted bantering back and forth without hurting feelings, but enjoying a person. Correcting unrepentant sin from people who think they're not really sinning. Rebuking some boisterous attitude in the children requires wisdom of speech. Acquiring the wisdom that we need for all of these circumstances is most difficult. Our wise Lord above knows that we need that wisdom. We need greater wisdom than we have to guide our mouths. Our mouths, every mouth needs taming, as James chapter 3 points out. But every mouth also needs training to add more wisdom to our mouths. And so today we're going to work on training our tongues. And to help us with that, we're going to turn to the Proverbs. So I would have you turn to Proverbs chapter 1 to begin with, but today's going to be such a kind of a message that you'll need to flip around to a number of passages with me. But to get a sense for the book of Proverbs or remind us what they're about, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 of chapter 1, and then we'll pick up on the topic of the tongue. Proverbs 1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge, and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel to understand a figure and a to understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, in these opening words, Solomon sets forth the purpose of the book of Proverbs. He lists several reasons for the Proverbs. The first in verse 2 is to know wisdom. 
He elaborates a little bit on this in a number of ways. If you look at the verses following, verse 2 is to give the ability to discern sayings. Verse 3, to give instruction in wise behavior. Verse 4, to help the naive gain prudence. Also in verse 4, to help the youth gain knowledge and discretion. Then in verse 5, Solomon shows that Proverbs are even useful to the wise people. The wise can listen and they can increase in their wisdom. Verse 6 says to understand Proverbs and riddles. A proverb is a concise saying that expresses a general and a helpful truth to us. Proverbs, listen to this, are not necessarily absolute truths. There are exceptions to some of the Proverbs. For example, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Yes, most of the time, not always. There's a truism there, there's wisdom to it, but they're not meant to be absolute statements. They provide rather wisdom and insight for how are we to apply the will of God in day-to-day living? How are we to apply the law of God in our own lives? According to verse 7, what is the beginning point of wisdom and knowledge? You know it, say it, the fear of the Lord. One who does not reverence God in his life Someone who does not really think about God's commandments or the judgments to come will never be a wise person in this world, never gain true wisdom. Those who take the Bible and push it out of their lives or redefine it to fit their sinful lives, well, the Bible calls them fools. Wisdom can only begin with a right perspective of the true and living God. It doesn't begin with us. It begins with a right view of God. When we fear Him... And then we live under that fear. Now we can become one. Now within the book of Proverbs, you see many topics that are raised. How wisely to think about and use your money. How to be a wise parent and to teach well. How to handle a marriage. Today we're going to just talk about speech because that's one of the great themes in the book of Proverbs also. We're going to learn three guidelines this morning for wise speech. Three guidelines for wise speech. Speech. The first guideline is be controlled. The second is be thoughtful. And the third is be sweet. Be controlled, be thoughtful, and be sweet. Now, there's no single passage in the Proverbs that expresses all of the wisdom about our tongue. So you're going to need to flip around with me and keep up because we'll move to a number of different verses. The first guideline then of our speech is to be controlled. Turn to chapter 10 and verse 19, and I'll read that. Chapter 10 and verse 19. It says there, When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But, and you'll notice in Hebrew parallel, often there's a but, there's something to contrast or something to compare. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Now the lips obviously stand for one's speech. The Hebrews used parts of the body to indicate speech. So you will see in Proverbs it talks about the lips, the mouth, the tongue. All of them are used. What do they mean? Your speech, your conversation, your words, your counsel, your teaching, all of those things. Transgression refers to sin, the breaking of the commandments of God. And so this verse teaches that restraining the lips, holding your tongue from speaking, remaining silent actually helps to avoid sin. Silence may not accomplish what you wish, but at least silence won't advance your sin. (laughs) Well, that had to be silent. 
Due to our fallen natures, much of what is inside our minds and our hearts is not beneficial to other people. And so the more we gab, the more likely we're going to bring out some unedifying words. Your lips need to be like a good garden hose. It can turn on, it can also turn off and not drip. James chapter 1 and verse 19 instructs this. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear. What's the next one? Slow to speak and slow to anger. One who talks much tends to listen little. Have you noticed that? One who listens little takes in little and therefore doesn't have much good to say anyway. The fool talks forever about nothing of any valuable, any lasting truth. He talks much, not because he's full of knowledge, but for the sheer enjoyment of hearing himself speak. A talent for conversation is of no benefit unless we also have a talent for silent listening. By way of application, and there are many, vain babbling can hurt the church. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14, Paul instructed the senior pastor there, solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Some in the church will major on minor issues rather than speaking sound words that build others up. In fact, to the younger women in that culture, at that time, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 13, they learn to be idle as they go around from house to house, and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies, talking about things not proper to mention. Well, in our day, probably the cell phone has taken over that house-to-house part. Some talk or text for more hours but with little that actually benefits. Obviously, this past year, we've had to endure the damage of people who spread divisive and unfair critical words, gossip of things that are not true, that hurt unity. That does not come from wise lips. Now, there are many of these proverbs that give this instruction. Another verse that expresses control of the lips is chapter 17. Again, I encourage you to keep up. I know I'm going to be going to a lot of them, but chapter 17, verses 27 and 28. Verse 27 of chapter 17 says, He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. Literally, verse 27 says, he is sparing of words and cool of spirit. One with a cool composure has real understanding. A cool spirit is the opposite of a heated person, a hot-tempered person. He's patient. He's calm inwardly. He's slow to get angry, as James 1 also contributed. Silence does not make you wise. It just better conceals your folly. One does not act foolish before others by having unwise thoughts, only by uttering them. So a cool spirit, notice, goes hand in hand with a controlled 
tongue. If you're to work on a controlled tongue, you have to work on your inner meditations. Now let's go to chapter 29 and verse 20. Chapter 29 and verse 20. Here it says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Haste destroys a reflective spirit. Those who speak quickly create so much trouble for themselves. It's hard to undo that trouble. The damage is already done. Damage control is the best that someone can hope for at that stage. I know, because I have done that, I know that I am more likely to insert foot in the mouth when I speak too quickly. I don't know about you, but that's how it gets with me. If I'm in trouble, it's because I spoke too quickly. Hastiness is foolish. When one gives his opinion without taking time to absorb the whole picture or the situation, or when one gives his judgment about something in the presence of people who know better than them, that's hastiness. And yes, that's folly. The humble person is conscious of his lack of experience, his lack of understanding, how much more he still has to learn. And so he remains silent in order to gather in more wisdom before he speaks. Have you ever been in a Bible study or a Sunday school class where someone who has studied very little is the first to speak up and give his opinions? Is that helpful to the class? Not usually. And then there are the times where we rush to take sides in an argument, defending someone before we know all the facts simply because our loyalties might be more in one area or another. Boy, the media tempts us to do this all the time, to express our strong emotional feelings about an issue. But if you're honest, you hardly know a thing about that person. And the information you have, you're not even sure is solid. In Proverbs 26 and verse 17, it says, like one who takes a dog by the ears is the one who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him. A lot of times, the best thing to say is, I don't have an opinion about that. I just don't really care as much about that issue. You ever grabbed a mean dog by the ears? We're not talking about the little feller here. Hasty conclusions aggravate other people. And pervert justice. We're seeing that all across our land now. When it comes to issues in the media, please remember Proverbs 18, 17. The first to plead his case seems right until, what, another comes and examines him. Can't examine things on a media program where they're not really allowing the opposite view. Or they bring in a fool to express the opposite view. Don't be so confident in your opinions after you listen to three or four news shows. Rarely do you know all the facts. Rarely does the media even want you to know all the facts. It would lessen the story. Psalm 141, verse 3. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. 
Keep watch over the door of my lips. Put great effort to hold back unneeded words. Shut it tight. Don't be so quick to express your opinion. Work on your knowledge first. Don't produce a lot of wood, hay, and stubble. Wait and speak pearls of wisdom. Be controlled. Second guideline, be thoughtful. Be thoughtful. Turn to chapter 18 and verse 21. This is really good. Chapter 18 and verse 21. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Words are important. They can be very important. Sometimes they are literally a matter of life and death, this proverb states. It is true that actions speak louder than words. But actions joined with words speak loudest of all. Those who love the tongue, that means those who are careful to think about the value of their words and what they're saying, those who love the tongue will benefit from the result of the tongue. This proverb is meant to inspire us to study how we talk so we can eat the good fruit of what we say. What farmer is careless about the seed that he puts in the ground? What's this? Oh, I don't know. Let's just plant it and see what happens. <laughs> Otherwise, the land will never yield the fruit that he desires. Even more so, your tongue. The greatest good can come from our mouths, but it depends on what you say. It depends on when you say it. It depends on how you say it. The greatest harm can also come from your tiny little tongue. James 3 made that clear. Look at ships, he wrote. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder where the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest is lit on fire. The tongue by a little fire that kindles a little fire. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. The tongue is, the tongue is so small, yet it controls so much leading to eternal life for some or eternal death in hell for others. Some of you know that I got a little cut on the end of my tongue. Got me thinking about the tongue. <laughs> so why aren't we an axe? This little cut, just this little nuisance on the end of the tongue just kept getting bigger and bigger. I guess I was talking too much. And it wouldn't go away, so I went to the ENT and uh, he cut it off, sealed it shut, and it just got me thinking, wow, it's so small, but it, it's so important in life, isn't it? For me as a pastor, I couldn't say a lot of things that I wanted to say. My wife enjoyed it. You know? 
It really got me thinking, you know, we have something special here in a mouth, in a tongue. When the suicidal Philippian jailer cried out, what must I do to be saved? By the way, if you think you can be good enough to save yourself, listen to Paul's reply, because it brought forth eternal fruit. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Acts 16.31. Couldn't be clear, could it? Christ saves you, not yourself. Brought eternal fruit to this man and his household. And how many more after that, we don't even know. Use your tongue for things that matter. Proverbs 13, verse 14. Solomon wisely taught this. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. The fountain, obviously, is a constant flow of refreshing water. It's valued extremely highly in arid climates. So, too, there is a high value placed upon the wise person's tongue who teaches wisdom. That's who you flock to. When you're troubled and you don't know what to do, you seek out the wisest person in your life that you can. Such wise counsel turns a person away from foolish decisions that may lead to trouble and may, yes, maybe even their death. How many people have died because they got bad counsel or died because of a thing that they said that they shouldn't have said? Now, we concede that death and life are the prerogatives of God. But please notice, in this verse, our words are said to have that power. How weighty they are. Whether it's preaching, teaching, counseling, guiding, evangelizing, parenting, consoling, exhorting, imploring, soothing, encouraging, life and death are in the power of your tongue. Yet too often, you do not think about what words you could say to spur others on toward God. You just say the regular thing that people around you say. Too often the words that you say are just nice words, but they're not wise words. Too often they are words that inspire other people just to to feel better about themselves or to get past some kind of a difficulty they're going through. But they do little to, to fortify them and strengthen them in their faith towards God. I urge you, please, pay better attention to what you are saying. Much of the words are not biblical encouragement. They build up self not humble dependence on God. That's what society does. Society's humanistic. Society's always, always about what, is, what you like and what feels good for you and what works out well for you. That's not the purpose of our lives. Ours is to bring glory to God and to serve Him, to love Him. What are you saying to others that spurs them on to that end? Think through your words. It's not good enough just that they're not offensive. They need to truly get others to think as God wants them to think. 
In James 3, 1, it hints at the importance of getting our words right when it says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. Jesus said very scary words in Matthew 12, 37. By your words you shall be justified, and by your words you shall be condemned. All God will do is play back what you said, and it will determine your eternal destiny. Charles Bridges, in his older commentary, writes this, Born as we are for eternity, no utterance of our tongue can be called trifling. A word, though light as air, scarcely marked and soon forgotten, may rise up as a witness at the throne of judgment for death or for life eternal. That's right. Either ruin or restoration, building up or tearing down, poison or medicine, sin or savior, life or death, heaven or hell, they're in the power of your tongue. I have been observing the skilled laborers out at the new facility, and I notice they always have really good tools, and it helps them to get their job done well. You have been given a tool. You have been equipped with a tongue that can accomplish great things, but how many of you are using it the way you should? It can lead other people to God. It can create peace. It can inspire faith. It can heal the brokenhearted. It can change the course of someone's life. But are you using it the way God wants you to? If you flip back to uh, chapter 15 and verse 28, chapter 15 and verse 28, we see some more wisdom. There it says, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Many times a week you will be confronted with a topic that will come up in a conversation. That's already happened today. It'll happen more today. It'll happen tomorrow. It'll be about world events or national tragedies. It'll be about a controversial topic or religion or politics. It'll be about family happenings, maybe in the greater family, news about a friend, some conundrum going on at work. Wise people think carefully about how they will answer in the conversation. When the question arises, what do you think? Did you hear about such and such? They ponder how to solve a problem, how to apply wisdom to an issue of life. That word ponders may also be translated ways how to answer. Should I say this? Should I say that? What do I exactly say here? Or studies how to answer. But if I say that, they might not understand this. So maybe I need to say this instead. Instead, we think of the first thing, we say the first thing that comes to our minds. You know, a pile of dirt is not worth as much as one nugget of gold. Would you agree? Sometimes we just produce a pile of leaves rather than fruit or a pile of dirt rather than gold. 
Some of you are very skilled at giving quick, witty replies to each situation that comes up. But is it wise? What did it do? How did it help somebody? Did it comfort them? Did it lead them towards God? Every Sunday or every gathering, you have dozens of lost opportunities to inspire somebody, to guide them, to prove yourself faithful as a friend to them, to sympathize with their pains, to challenge them beyond the things they keep making excuses about. You babble and jaw and chit-chat. But what have you said? What's in front of you? A pile of leaves, not fruit. And the more authority and the more influence you have, the greater opportunity is wasted. Young people, if you took your last 500 texts or posts, I don't know what else they're called, (laughs) tweets on social media, you know, the number that you've already done this morning, how many of them said anything that mattered at all? So much communication, but so inconsequential. What's the point in having all these means of communication if we just multiply folly? Fluffy, silly, just filling the air stuff. Can I just say something here? The the little things that happen in your life are not as important as God's truth. Why don't you say a little more about God's truth and a little bit less about what happened to your big toe this morning? (laughs) Don't squander the use of a powerful instrument that God has given to us in a time where prophets and apostles would have died to have access to the way we have to get the truth of God out. Chapter 12, verse 18. Chapter 12, verse 18 teaches, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. How can your words heal people the way God wants them healed? Think, pray, ponder, study some scripture, then speak, then write, then tweet. Bridges makes this analogy. When the heart ponders a good thing, the tongue becomes as a pen of a godly writer. Wicked people don't love others. They blurt out worthless things. They blurt out vicious things. They delight in the pains of others. They delight in looking better than other people by one-upping in their next comment. The wicked care little what their words accomplish with others, only how it makes them feel or sound. They want to speak their mind. The problem is their mind is corrupt. I don't want to hear their mind. You ever find how hard it is just to find a movie or a news station that's actually going to say something that in the first two minutes you're not already like, why am I watching this? Where's someone that's going to give me something that's actually valuable for my life? Let's flip forward again to chapter 18. 
It's all over the Proverbs, you may have noticed. Verse 13. He who gives an answer before he hears is folly and shame to him. Speaking without enough knowledge is shameful. I know that people are not ashamed to do that this day. We should be. A fool is not really in dialogue because he's only wanting to express his view. A wise tongue is only possible with big ears. Many of you try to correct others. You try to give counsel to them, to tell them some of the Bible that you have learned. We encourage you to do that here. There's a there's a famine of the Word of God in our land, and you do need to open your tongues, and you do need to share the wisdom and knowledge you have. But you don't often gather enough information about the situation the person is in before you give the advice. Asking one or two questions or hearing three sentences about what they've faced is not enough information for you to properly lead them to the truth of God. Oh, I've been in that situation before. Here's what you do. But maybe it's a little different than the situation you were in. Spend more time absorbing information. That's what good counselors are taught, right? Gather, ask this question, then that question. Ask it in a different way. Parents to your children, understand their hearts. They're growing and changing. Some of the things are the same. Some things are changing. Don't assume Process what's going on. Pray over it. Think. If you have to go back and ask more questions, good. Then give your opinion. And if you don't really know, preface it with something like, I'm not sure this is the best advice for you, but, and then say what you need to say. Oh, Lord Jesus, make our tongues wiser, that we may present every man complete in Christ. Be controlled. Be thoughtful. Third, be sweet. Be sweet. We must consider the talent of improving our speech. Proverbs chapter 10, going all the way back to that now, verse 20 states, if I can get there, the tongue of the righteous is as choice silver, the heart of the wicked is worth little. Choice silver. If the tongue can be our shame, the tongue can also be our glory. When you think of growing in godliness, have you ever considered that you will never become a godly person if you don't have a godly mouth? You ever thought about that? Never. There is no such thing as a godly person with an ungodly mouth. And a godly mouth, to be godly, is a sweet mouth. Not bitter, not sarcastic, not sour, not excessively negative, not grumbling, that's for me, not sharp, not usually blunt, but sweet. Now, sweetness of speech is not always considered good in the Bible. Sugar can be put to evil purposes. 
The lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech, so warns Proverbs 5, verse 3. Flattery and manipulation are twin deceptions. They are not approved by the Spirit of God. Negative words, of course, have their place. Our Lord Jesus Christ gave many warnings and rebukes and corrections and negative statements about others. But there is much wisdom in speaking kindly, in speaking gently, in caring for what others are going through as you speak to them. James chapter 3 Verses 13 and 17, I'll just read it to you. It makes this clear. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in gentleness of wisdom. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits. You are not more biblical if your comments predominantly find the negative side of everything. You are not more godly for finding little things wrong with every lesson, every book, every sermon, every conversation. You're exercising discernment, hooray, but you're not exercising wisdom in your speech. It's to be with grace, we're told. Colossians 4, verse 6. You want a verse to memorize? Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to every person. If you only concern yourself with what you say and don't work on the spirit behind your words, you fail to be Christ-like. And you fail to be wise. Learn to affirm others where you can, even when they're weak, even when they're inconsistent. Practice the talent of godly persuasion using sweetness of speech. Another proverb, chapter 16 and verse 23, just so you can see, this isn't in just one place. Proverbs 16, 23 and 24 says, The heart of the wise teaches his mouth. Now, usually that's by trial and error. Oops, I shouldn't have said it that way. Hmm, next time I'm in this situation, I think I'll try something differently. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Pleasant words are a honeycomb. Sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Teaching your mouth adds persuasiveness to your lips. The word persuasiveness there means learning in the sense that you teach your mouth how to speak words that will show the beauty and the goodness of the wisdom that they're conveying. Wisdom in speech increases the reception of the truth that you are speaking. If you want someone else to receive and accept what you're giving out, work on how you say it. But I've told them 25 times, find a different way to tell. Have you ever been accused of speaking something foolish 
And then you said in your own heart, well, I'm just not going to say anything anymore. You clam up. That is not what this verse is urging you to do. That is immaturity and stubbornness. Instead, we should teach our mouth how to speak better, wisely, sweetly, skillfully. I say this to myself as well. If you find that people do not seek you out for advice or they came once and they never come back, there might be a good reason for that. Well, that was a stupid decision. Don't do that again. Not so helpful. Scriptural truths have to be made palatable and put in the mouth. Now, chew on that. Scripture addresses great topics for life. Scripture is magnificent in its brilliance and scope in terms of the topics and the way we're to think. It expresses the very mind of God. We take it and chop it all up and give it out like it's dog food. Speak in such a way to do justice to the beauty of the truth of Scripture. Speak from the experience of being full of the Holy Spirit. Speak from your relationship with Christ. Delve deeply into your knowledge of Christ and His joy and His peace and the love that flows through your body to others. And then talk in that spirit. The heart that has been taught in the school of Christ can expound doctrine with beauty and exuberance and vigor. Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Sometimes I'm asked, are Christians supposed to cuss? Well, there's your answer. No unwholesome word. you got some preachers now that think it's, it's helpful to the Spirit of God to cuss. I might be a really simple man. Let no Rotten word, literally is what it says, proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not, you know what the next verse says? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Your rotten words grieve the Holy Spirit. They sadden him. Spirit of God cares not just what you say, but how you say it. He's concerned with the attitude behind the words. Verse 24 speaks of how pleasant certain words can be to us. It says that a good word literally can help our physical health. It's sweet to the soul, and then it says it's health to the bones. Jonathan's weary eyes brightened after he ate honeycomb in the wilderness, according to 1 Samuel 14, 27. That's the effect pleasant, skillful, wise words have upon us. When we have them given to us, that's how we respond to them. How about turning that around and letting that be the same way to others? Sweet, timely counsel, words of sympathy can revive our spirit. And then it works healing into our body. 
In Proverbs 25, 11, I'll speed up. It says, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Artistic beauty, that's what apt words are. Words used skillfully are beautiful. Unfortunately, they're far too rare. Just think of the beauty of the words that were sung to us in this place just a week ago. Look how God's word was put in a beautiful medium and think about, if you were here, how it ministered to your soul and think about that. That we, just because we're truthful doesn't mean that we have to be ugly in the way we speak that truth, right? How one says something is just as important as what one said. Just being bold to make a point is not always wise. It can incur defensiveness from other people. Wives, you run into this all the time with your husbands. And uh, we don't think about how, if we're careful and softer in the way we approach people, how they might be willing to accept that more. By the way, timing matters too. That's Proverbs 25.20. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. We're told not to rejoice with those who weep, but to what? Weep with those who weep. Timing matters. A joyous song needs to be saved for another time. Irresponsible efforts to cheer someone up only make things worse. And then there's Proverbs 27.9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Oil soothes the skin, perfume refreshes the senses. So too, having friends who give understanding counsel is a pleasant experience. Moses was strengthened and encouraged greatly by Jethro's wise counsel in Exodus 18, 17. In Luke 4, 22, it says that our Lord Jesus spoke gracious words and those who heard it could not get enough. Too often in our conversations with each other, someone shares a difficulty they've gone through in the past week or so, and the rest of us respond by joking, joking or lessening the issue rather than speaking the right words for the person. How did your week go? Well, my computer broke and it set me back at work and it was frustrating. Oh, that's too bad. Well, at least your car is working. That's flippant. We do many things like that. Sweetness blesses other people. Insensitivity repels us from them. Sweet speech can even enhance evangelism. That's why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.15 to give our defense of the hope that is within us with reverence and gentleness. Sweet speech helps in times of conflict. The gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer is, is not the same thing as avoiding conflict, by the way. A gentle answer is facing conflict head on, looking at someone who is irate, and giving a gentle answer in the face of their angry countenance. It's our natural inclination to feed the angry flame rather than to quench it. But peace in the family and peace in the church depends upon answering gently and sweetly. Proverbs 26, verses 20 and 21 teaches, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, 
And where there is no whisperer, that's a gossiper, contention quiets down. See, when people go around gossiping about things, it stirs things up. Oh, it must, something must be bad. Something must be bad. And they're stirring it up. Then it goes on, like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Give the correction to someone you must, but save your sharp words for dire situations. Don't turn molehills into mountains. And lastly, Proverbs 25, 15. By forbearance, a ruler may be persuaded, and a soft tongue, a soft tongue breaks the bone. What a wonderful illustration. How do I get this man of mine, you ladies might be saying, some of you ladies, to understand what he needs to understand? Your answer is in that verse, Proverbs 25, 15. A soft tongue breaks the bone. Conciliatory, persuasive advocacy wins over determined resistance. A person in authority can be persuaded not by threats or griping or shouts, but through patience and gentle persistence. Wives can break down their husband's stubborn waves by soft, respectful words, more than by loud wailing or constant nagging. Abigail herself saved many men from death by humbly appealing to David when he came to slaughter everyone in their household. Our lips need much training. They need much understanding. Isaiah's first response to his vision of God's holiness in Isaiah chapter 6 was to say, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. I think when we see God and His holiness, that's what we will understand. How unclean we are and how much we have to work on. May this prayer of King David be ours from Psalm 19.14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Father, thank you for giving us the wisdom of your word. Help your people not to be hearers, but doers of your word, that they may be blessed and others may be blessed. Thank you for our new members that we get to rejoice in now as well. Bless this time as we receive them into fellowship. Amen.